I know when we first walk with the Lord, we probably don't think about such things. But the longer you walk with the Lord, the, the, the more you see how he's the master planner. He's a craftsman when it comes to working out details of our lives, crisscrossing us a lot of times with other people's lives, helping us to experience his grace more and more. He's amazing how he can do that. I want to talk to you about that today and how he uses the, the events of Christ's life, how he, how he crosses those with us, and how he changes us from the events of Jesus, particularly his cross and his empty tomb, and how that transforms us and unites us with Christ in such a way that, that sometimes it's mind-boggling how God works out the order, the details of our lives. And sometimes when we think we're going nowhere and nothing's happening, amazing things are in work, in being prepared for us as we look to him. So I want to talk to you about that today, about as we continue this resurrection series, I want to talk to you about the issue of the certainty of God's strategies. And there's a number of scriptures I want to speak to you about or mention to you, but the one that uh, you know very much, uh, very, very, very familiar with is Romans 8:28, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God in our call according to his purpose for them. There's uh, two characteristics in the Bible in the Old Testament that describe God primarily. I mean, he's got lots of attributes, but there's one uh, that is really huge. And um, we actually probably as kids, were, if we were in a Christian home, we were taught how to pray. Where we were taught to say our, you know, our, a prayer for our meals. We said, what God is good, God is great, and we thank him for our food. A primary attribute of God is the combination in the Old Testament of those two words of how he revealed himself, of being good and being great. Those are two foundational principles or attributes of one word, of actually the word holy. The word holy signifies or reveals God's goodness and his greatness. And God wants to, well, he, because he is great and because he is almighty, it's amazing how he knows, of course, everyone who's ever been alive, he knows the intricate details of their lives. Everyone, the billions of us who have ever existed on this planet, he knows the intricate details of our lives and it's not even a sweat to him. It's not even a problem. It's just, it's, it's, it's easy for him. That overwhelms us. But then also, he works the, he, he plans things. He works for the good of us. He works through the details of our lives to bring good. Remember, he is basically good. To bring his goodness to our life. And I want to talk to you about that today. Lord, as we, as we look at uh, this uh, way that, well, just the certainty of, of your, your strategies in our lives to bring good to our lives and to bring us ultimately into the presence, your presence of goodness. We pray, Father, that you encourage us today and build up our faith as we believe you to be who you are and trust you to be what you say, well, what you say you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, there's really no better uh, life than to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I hesitate to use the word Christian there because these days everybody claims to be a Christian 
Everybody does, even, even though their lifestyle is a contradiction to the very word itself. You recall, I'm sure, uh, where and when the word Christian first came into existence. Let me give you a little history on that from the book of Acts. But it was actually, it was 13 years after Jesus ascended back to heaven and after the church was, you know, created or born on the day of Pentecost. Uh, it, was, uh, it was actually in a city uh, of Antioch. Let me just point it out here to you where it is. Down here is Jerusalem. And up here is this Antioch. It's in Syria. Uh, it's hard to believe, but there, there's 300 miles here between, between Jerusalem and Antioch. Isn't that amazing? But it was in the city of Antioch, Syria, where, um, and it would take you probably two weeks to get there. Uh, if you walked 20 miles a day, it took about 15 days or so between those two cities, the city of Jerusalem and Antioch. It'd be like uh, walking from Bern down to Evansville. And that's about from Bern to Evansville is close to 300 miles. So, wow, that would take you a couple of weeks to do that, you know. And uh, if you walk 20 miles a day, well, that was kind of the equivalent of what the distance was between those two, two cities. And according to Acts 11.26, it's, it's, it's in Antioch where the followers of Jesus Christ, and again, there was Jews and Gentiles in that, in that uh, church, it's there where they were first called Christians. That was a place right, right, right up there. They were first called Christians right there by the pagans. The pagans called them Christians. And again, it was 13 years after the death and, re death and resurrection of Jesus. And you know what the word Christian means. It means little Christ. So, you know, sometimes my dad had, uh, he had a nickname, it's a strange nickname, but his name was, when I, ever since he was just a toddler, uh, someone named him Pooger, Pooger. And uh, I know it's a weird little name, and I've never heard it before ever, but it's, uh, it's and uh, if you, um, anyway, they, he'd go by Pooger, and when I was a little boy, sometimes uh, I'd hear this, well, there's a little Pooger. Hey, little Pooger, because I kind of looked like my dad, you know, and they, I looked like my dad more than my brother did, so they'd call me like a little Pooger. And in, the, in this Antioch place, they, uh, the pagans, when they, when they saw the followers of Jesus, they, would, they said, there's Christians, the little Christs there. Little Christs. Um, some teach that that was a derogatory term. I've heard that taught that some say, well, that was a derogatory, derogatory term created by the pagans, the Antiochians, if that's what you want to call them, during the days of the early church. But you know what I've read where other scholars said, no, 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 they, that wasn't derogatory. It was actually a compliment to be called a little Christ. It was a compliment because it meant that person's lifestyle was reflecting the lifestyle of Christ. And they called him a little, uh, they called him a Christian, which meant a little Christ. And it was an accurate description of those who followed Jesus. They were people who had said, had some sort of experience with Jesus and, and through faith they were transformed and enabled to live after the pattern of Jesus' life. And all during that time, 
uh, people who repented of their sins, they rebelled against God and believed on Jesus as their Savior, they didn't call themselves Christians. I mean, again, it was 13 years, um, you know, since Jesus had died and went back to heaven, rose, rose from the dead, went back, back, back to heaven, and 13 years before this term popped up called Christian. During those 13 years, they were called something different. They were uh, the people who followed Jesus. They were called, uh, if I can get it up here, followers of the way. The way. More called Christians. They were called followers of the way. You'll, if you read through the book of Acts, you'll, you'll see that term there mentioned at least uh, five or six times that where Paul is talking to Felix, for example, you know, the governor, and he's talking to him and saying he's describing, he's talking about details of the way. So this is very interesting. And again, it's not to be confused with uh, the cult called the Way International. You might have heard the Way International. That was back formed back in the 1950s. That's a, that's a cult. So that's not, I'm not talking about that at all. But even after this label Christian was applied to followers of Jesus, the, the, the phrase followers of the Way was still the dominant label that that uh, people who were Jesus' disciples used. It actually became kind of like a moniker. It was like an informal label, uh, oftentimes just drawing attention to a particular attribute, which would be the, the, the characteristics of Christ, his, his character. I'd like to take a few minutes uh, a little bit later here and talk a little bit more about why they called it the way. And I think you'll find it very, very encouraging. You know, loved ones, the longer I know the Lord, the more specific details I learn about, um, well, let me put it this way, of who he is and what he is does, what, 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 he, what he does, what he's done. Um, the more I learn about these things and the why of it all, I tell you, it uh, begins to overwhelm me sometimes when I look at the big scheme of things and how he's allowed me to be a smaller part of the way where he has allowed you if you know the Lord Jesus you are part of the way too the way is it's a road it's a spiritual road that is leading to heaven that not everybody is on and some of us have been on the way a lot longer and someone who doesn't know the Lord can step into the way and, find, and, and, and you know, be, begin, be, begin on the way with us. If they repent of their sins and surrender to Christ. But it blows my mind how God is concerned that we be on the way. And that as we surrender to him, he is working out details and intricate circumstances in our life. Sometimes tragic ones. Now you think, how can God use this to, to work good in my life? And we, we find that he does. I have to admit that in my immaturity and ignorance, I sometimes feel like, have felt like, and maybe I'm tempted even now to feel like sometimes John the Baptist, when he was in prison, and there in Matthew, I think it's chapter, chapter 11, I believe, where he's in Matthew, where he's in prison actually, and uh, um, questioning God's plan uh, for your life. Sometimes it seems, it just seems that even though you try to do the right things to glorify God, it's not coming out right. <laughs> You're trying your best, and it's just not coming out right, at least in a way that seems right to you. 
you know, you, you pray a certain way, you give a certain way, you sacrifice a certain way, and it just seems like nothing's coming out right. People in Scripture had the same issue. We're, we're, we're all in this boat together, and people in the Bible, we can find them there having the same problems where, man, they're trying to do what's right, but it seems like nothing's working out right. Um, I recall a time in the Old Testament, for example, um, Genesis chapter 48, when Joseph brought his two sons, uh, you know, Manasseh and Ephraim, to be blessed by Jacob. You know, they did that then where, where the oldest boy would, be, would receive like a birthright and then he would be blessed as the firstborn. And then, of course, the other children were blessed as well. But Joseph brings his boys to his father, uh, Jacob. And, and Joseph lined the boys up in front of Jacob with, with, uh, you know, with his oldest boy, Manasseh next to Jacob's right hand and Ephraim, the secondborn, next to his left hand. However, Jacob crossed his hands. <laughs> and uh, he put his hand a blessing on the secondborn and, his, and the lesser blessing on the firstborn. And Joseph sees the, says, oh no. And he says, dad, no. <laughs> you know, he said, father, no, you've, you've got them mixed up. You can read it right there in Genesis 48. Uh, he said, you got them mixed up. Uh, and Jacob said, no, no son, I, I know what God wants. He said, in, in the case of these two boys, it's God's plan to make them both great, but the younger will be greater. And that just left Joseph scratching his head. That's not what I planned. That's not what I've been dreaming all along. You know, what's, what's up, you know, with that? We have even a bigger example in the New, New Testament going back to John the Baptist here. And I hope this will be a great encouragement to you. Because John the Baptist, Jesus said, was the greatest of all the prophets, didn't he? Remember that when he said John the Baptist was the greatest? Because he fulfilled something about the way. We'll talk about that later. But then he said, but even the the least child in the, in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. That's another topic, you know, for us to look, look at. But John the Baptist, what a, what a great man. Uh, um, you know, God had uh, miraculously caused his birth from aged parents. You remember there in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were, they were old beyond child years and childbearing years. And here they got a son, their special son, uh, Jesus' cousin actually. And uh, they got this son and uh, his name was to be John. And he was going to be used to prepare the way for the Messiah. And, uh, and he was. He was told by God. He said, God told me that whoever I saw, I was going to, if I would see an angel, a, a dove come down upon someone, that they were, they were the Messiah and that they would, uh, that would be the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And, and so he had these special messages from God and even baptized Jesus. Again, seeing the Holy Spirit descend on him in the form of a dove. But now John, well, John was waiting, uh, you know, uh, for a national revival to take place. You know, he had plans. He said, I obeyed the Lord. I obeyed the Lord. I, I prepared the way for him. I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness, you know, as Isaiah chapter 40. And he said, and I've done God, my part. And now I'm waiting for a national revival, but everything seemed to be falling apart. I mean... He had, he had done his job even to preach against Herod's adultery. Remember, he's preaching against Herod's adultery. And Herod, what? Threw him in jail. <laughs> he's in jail. 
So here we have John the Baptist in jail. And um, he can't figure it out. I mean, I call, I, I, I even named Jesus as the Lamb, Lamb of God. And, and I can't understand why there's, this is happening. Um, you know, and, and we know later what happens to John. He doesn't know it at this time, but he's going to be beheaded and very, very soon because of a, a girl who dances in a, a, a very sensual dance in front of Herod. And, and the girl and her mother, they connive to have John beheaded. And um, John didn't know that that was going to be his lot soon. But right now, John is very discouraged. He's in prison. And because Jesus' ministry just wasn't turning out like he thought it was going to turn out. He thought that surely you're going to be, you know, bringing Israel up to the top again. That we're going to be a dominant power again. We're going to overcome the Romans, you know. So, so here he's looking out his, I'm sure he's looking, he's, he's thinking about these things in this dark prison. You know, I don't know if I had a window or not, but here, here he is thinking about these things. And his disciples come to visit him and he writes them a note. He, he, he writes a note. And he had a question for Jesus. So he sent uh, this message questioning Jesus. He said, Jesus, uh, you know, should we expect somebody else? Obviously, it's not happening with you. <laughs> Can you see the confusion in John's head? But God told me that the Messiah would be the one that the dove comes down on. I proclaim the Lamb of God, but yet there's no national revival coming. That things aren't working out, uh, and here I am in prison. And I'm doing what's right, Lord. So he sends this message to Jesus. Should we expect somebody else? Um, John, you know, is being imprisoned unjustly and, and uh, he thought Jesus would be this conquering Messiah King. He, he was grateful to be a part of God's plan, I'm sure, but, but um, you know, being the voice of the, the voice in the wilderness and prepare ye the way of the Lord and make straight the highway in the, des in, in the desert for our God. And uh, he'd been faithful to do all of that. Well, we'd have to maybe look behind the scenes to see why John's thinking the way he's thinking because in the, during that time, the, the present thinking was that the Messiah might possibly come, or the form of the Messiah might come in two Messiahs. And you probably heard this before, but they thought that uh, they read these prophecies about the Messiah and one prophecy would read that he was going to be a suffering servant. And then they'd read another prophecy and it would say he was a conquering king. They liked that conquering king part. <laughs> they didn't quite understand the suffering servant part. They were kind of confused about that. And so John was also, you know, maybe confused about that somewhat. But he thought, you know, Jesus should be this conquering king and you're the Messiah. And so, and so um, you know, um, what's going on here? Uh, John is trying to, he's confused. Um, the scholars, they just couldn't merge those two opposite concepts in their head. And so that's why this is the message that, that he wrote them. If I can get up there. He said, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? You know, you're not, you're not that conquering king. You're not doing what we thought you were going to do. And again, to John, everything was all cattywampus and it was so disappointing and crisscrossed and confused in his mind. And maybe there's uh, going to be two messiahs, he thought. And, but Jesus reassured him that God's plan was in place and even if John didn't fully understand. And Jesus, he said, go back and tell John this. 
And so go back and tell John this, that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then Jesus said something else to John that I think is very important that we hear this morning and that it's always been important for uh, any of Jesus' disciples over the last almost 2,000 years. He said this, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me or who doesn't stumble because of me. And what he's talking about there, loved ones, is this. Jesus was telling his cousin, John the Baptist, listen, John, you don't see the full picture, John. You don't see the full picture. You don't understand all the details that God has in store. So you have to rest your troubled thoughts in the fact that I'm in control. That's what he's saying when he says, you, you, you can't be offended by me. You know, you have to keep loving me. You have to keep trusting me. Even though everything looks cloudy and hazy right now to you, can you still believe, John? Can you still believe? Have you ever felt discouraged like John the Baptist there? Man, I tell you, I have. You know, that God, is, you're not, it doesn't seem like it's working out the way it's supposed to. And, and um, you know, like... God doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, and I don't say that disrespectfully at all. But God, God knows my heart. But we're tempted to think that, my friends. But this is a thing when I said I, I marvel at the wonder of how God is the great planner and strategizer. That he truly is the, he is the master embroiderer. God is the master embroiderer in our life. He, uh, he sees from the top down, though. God does. He looks at our life, and he sees us from the top down. And if you know anything about embroidery, you know that's where the beauty is. It's on the top. That's where the picture is. That's, that's, where, the, that's where the scenery is. It's on the top, where things are in order. Things are looking great. Things are beautiful. And but if you turn that over and you see what's on the bottom, it looks you know more like that, you know, just a tangled mess, a tangled mess of threads, a tangled uh, a crisscross, uh, you know, going all directions and um, looking tangled together with maybe no sense, rhyme or reason, and definitely no beautiful picture as we imagine. We work hard to see the best happen and then it just seems like our best efforts don't work out. We pray again, we give, we sacrifice. Still, it's just a confusing mess to us and it just seems like it goes on and on, discouraging our hearts to give up. But God is the master planner of strategies and circumstances and Paul tells us, he says, let's don't give up doing good. Don't become weary in doing good for the proper time. We're going to reap a harvest, Galatians chapter 6 verse 9, if we don't give up. And then that's when he encourages us here in Romans chapter 8 that God is uh, working everything for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now that is mind-boggling to me that uh, this, the intent of this verse is to help us to understand that God takes all the lives of 8 billion, 8 billion people on the planet right now and particularly those who are destined for eternal life and all the lives of those who have ever lived on the planet and he merges us with the lives, all of our lives with the life of Jesus. I don't know how he does it. But the, the power of the cross and the power of the empty tomb are so great 
that he's able to merge the beauty of, of, of his grace in our lives and we crisscross with one another and we wind up being his church. We wind up being a radiant bride even though it looks like things are falling apart. As long as we keep our eyes on him. Amen? Amen. Because God is good. God is good as what God is. In his almightiness he knows every detail of our life. He knows how to bring good for everything uh, in everything uh, of our lives to, uh, to, together for his glory. And without Jesus, nothing good can happen. Huh? Nothing good can happen to our lives. And that's why Paul says this. And I think he was so overwhelmed with these thoughts that the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 11, look at this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. And to him be glory forever. Amen. Isn't that something? Well, that encourages me. I hope it encourages you too. The cross and the empty tomb. Again, those intricate, uh, in, in, intricate uh, strategical parts of God's eternal plan of the ages for us. He's, he's able to, again, able to crisscross the, the power of Christ in our life to create good and purpose. And that's why the gospel writer, I should say the songwriter in 1903, uh, G.A. Young, that's why we sing this song, Some Through the Waters. Amen? Some through the flood. Some through the fire. But what? All through the blood. Amen. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. Amen. <laughs> well, these early the early church, again, they treasured this, this, this phrase of being on the way. They were followers of the way. They were on the way. Let me just give you a little, a little snippet of what that was all about. In Isaiah chapter 40, we have that wonderful prophecy about how that there was going to be one, a voice in the wilderness, who was uh, going to be crying out, preparing, be preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. And of course, it was Luke records it uh, in his in his gospel of uh, recording of when John the Baptist came. In that chapter, in Isaiah chapter forty, and also the following chapters, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of indication that Isaiah is talking about that there's been exoduses in the life of God's people. We know that the first Exodus, you know where it was. It was in it was when the uh, the uh, Hebrews were down in Egypt, and God, um, you know, uh, brought them out of Egypt uh, through the Passover Lamb, and and, and uh, how He brought them up out of Egypt into what the Promised Land. And the significance of that is that they were the Exodus was they were moving out of a place, uh, you know where, uh, they, well, they were returning to God. Let me put it that way. They were leaving. They were getting on a road and returning to God. They were on God's highway. And Isaiah, Isaiah also talks about how that, that, uh, that the children of Israel were going to be in Babylon. They were going to be in exile. But there would come a time when God would call them out of exile and they would be returning back to God, going back to Jerusalem. 
the early church, they understood. The Holy Spirit revealed to them that they were on the way too. That this is like the third exodus. And it was that the church was going to be the new Israel. The new Israel. That it was comprised of Jews and Gentiles. It was the church which was the new Israel. And they would be on the way. This way that John the Baptist had, had prepared and Jesus had fulfilled by his death and his resurrection. And that anyone who would believe in him would trust in him, would surrender to him. They would leave a life of sin. They would leave a life of wickedness and they would surrender to God and they would step onto the way, the highway of the Lord. And they would begin to walk in the light of God's truth. They'd begin to walk no matter what. They were determined to do what's right. They would keep on walking, keep on growing, keep on learning, keep on developing. They would be walking on the way. They were followers of the way. The way of what? Leaving the wickedness of the world and returning to God, which is in heaven. That's where the next destination is. It's not the promised land. It's not getting back to Jerusalem. It's getting to heaven. And in the New Testament, Jesus is the one who has gone before us and prepared the way for us. So, loved ones, today, we are followers of the way, aren't we? We've stepped onto that highway, that highway of holiness, a highway of living differently. We look different. We're little Christs <laughs> walking on the way. Sometimes not knowing exactly how it's working out. Doing our best. Praying best we know how. Giving and best we know how. Staying faithful to do what we know to do. We're on the way. And God works it out. All of a sudden we realize that, that God saw something we didn't see. You know, all of a sudden we looked at a phone call as being something that was interrupting our schedule. Now I'm behind. And God reminds us, no. I made it so they called you because they needed to be rescued today. God does those kind of things. He, he ordains our life. He ordains our days so that He can use us so that we all glorify Jesus. We're stuck just sometimes on a, on a one-way, you know, just kind of, oh, we have a one-way of thinking and God changes it and says, yeah, I messed up your schedule today because I wanted you to, somebody needed your help. You know, we get all flustered about it. But the Lord, that's the way the Lord is. He's a strategizer. It's almost like, you know, they needed just what you had to say. Yeah. Just what you had to give. Yeah. I want to encourage you today that your life matters, you know, and uh, all of God's people's lives matter who have, are, you know, are surrendered to Him and He's used them over and over again and uh, in ways that glorify Him. And on that great day when we stand before Him, do you think one of the things we're going to be doing, you know, you know, besides, um, well, I think besides just uh, uh, 
going to heaven. You know, we're, we know, we know we're going to be there, but we're going to be celebrating all the wonders that God has worked through our lives. Things you didn't even know. People, the things that you did that you obeyed that, that you don't know what that was about but because you kept walking on the way, but because you obeyed, it caused something else to happen over here for someone's life that actually caused something else to happen to somebody else's life and then to somebody else's life. And God's going to show us in the intricate pattern the, that all looks confusing to us now, but on that day we're going to see the beautiful pattern that He's created in everyone in people's lives, lives that, that you've actually touched because you were faithful right there. We can never do it on our own. He's always making us bigger than what we can be on our own, isn't He? He's always making us bigger. He's always accomplishing more in us through us than we could ever do on our own. We could never think this thing up, this, this stuff up. We could never accomplish any of this, this kind of thing. But God makes it work, doesn't he? Just like we talked about last week, this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Amen. Boy, I tell you, yeah, so there's those days and I think, well, it sure doesn't look like it's working out, but I'm looking at the bottom side. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing, Lord, on the top side. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very, very much for the way your word encourages us. We thank you that we have a, this great honor of being on the way, the way to heaven, the way with, with Lord... Uh, Millions of other people who have, who have made the same decision, Lord, um, with us as since since the since the beginning, Lord, since since you created the earth. Thank you that that uh, we can be that there's room for us on this on this path. We know there's room for a lot more people on this path too. People who come out of ignorance of their 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 darkness and they step into the light of the way and are enlightened about holiness and truth and and righteousness and goodness and begin to walk in it becoming more and more like Jesus but thank you for putting us in the way we thank you Lord that as we're in this way thank you that you're working in us strategizing Lord plans crisscrossing our lives with others and uh but we can't see what good it is. We know that you're working good through everything in our life as we stay surrendered to you. Lord, I pray today that you will help your people to be encouraged to know that, uh, that they matter to you, that you are working through them. And Lord, we are humbled to know, humbled that we know we can't do this on our own. It's only as we keep serving you and looking to you. So Father, we love you today. We pray that you'll help us to again stay faithful and to uh, encourage one another, to spur each other on, to good deeds, to, uh, to, to good faith as we walk together on this way. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.